0: You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Hey man, you can be seated and good morning to the 10 o'clock. It's good to see all of you kind of packed in here today. We begin a brand new series called He's the King as we prepare our hearts and we prepare our minds to remember the the grim, cross of Christ, but also to remember the glorious resurrection of Christ. We we want to remember during this season vividly the occupied cross, and we want to remember vividly the empty tomb. Uh, We're going to do that over the course of the next few weeks. Today, we're taking communion together. Next Sunday is Palm Sunday. We'll remember again the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem that, that sparked the week that would carry out our salvation On Good Friday, we'll come back into this room together twice and and remember that the heaviness of the cross, the the weightiness of of our salvation, what it cost our Christ. Then, of course, Easter Sunday, April 9th, we'll gather three times and and celebrate the resurrection, that Jesus Christ, by his own authority, laid his life down, and Jesus, by his own authority, lifted his life back up again. An average preacher would be hesitant to open up to Hebrews chapter 7. But this average preacher doesn't know any better. So let's go to Hebrews chapter 7 together. We're going to look at a really interesting passage. I'd encourage you to open up your copy of God's Word with me today. The book of Hebrews is kind of deep into the New Testament. If you're relatively new to church, or relatively new to, to opening up the Bible, you've got the, the five T's. You've got the Thessalonians, the Timothys, the Titus, and you have Philemon or Philemon, if you say it incorrectly, Philemon, Philemon. And then you have, have Hebrews in the book of James. And so I encourage you to open up to Hebrews chapter seven with me. And once you get there, you can go and keep your Bible open there until we say amen at the end. So Hebrews chapter seven. Man, interesting passage here. Beginning in in verse one, Hebrews 7, one. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned, as in to Melchizedek, Abraham apportioned a tithe, a tenth of of everything that he had. He, meaning Melchizedek, is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. That's what the the word Melchizedek means, the king of righteousness. But also he's the king of Salem, which is Jerusalem, Jerusalem, that is the king of peace. He, Melchizedek, is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God. He continues a priest forever. See how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though they also are descended from Abraham. But this man, Melchizedek, who does not have his descent from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him with with the one who had the promises. Blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself who received tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins, in other words, unborn, in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. What? Like that, that's been the normal response for about 2,000 years now. Like what, 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 what do did, what, what did we just read? What in the world does this mean? This is why preachers skip Hebrews chapter seven. Jump to the end though of Hebrews chapter seven. And look at verse 23, 24, and 25 with me. So Hebrews 7 23. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. (laughs) In other words, the mortality rate of humanity is running about 100%. And so these priests, they were serving uh, serving the office of priest, but they couldn't stay there forever because they kept dying. But he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently. Because he continues forever. Consequently, he, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Since he, Jesus, always lives to make intercession for them. Don't, don't close your Bibles. Okay, wow. Let's, let's start at the high altitude view, first of all, of the book of Hebrews. The, the theme of Hebrews all along is that Jesus is better. Uh, Jesus is better in verse excuse me, chapters 1 through 6. He's, he's better than angels. He's better than the Old Testament prophets. Jesus is better than Joshua. Jesus is better than Abraham. In chapter 3, it says that Jesus is better than Moses. Chapter 5, Jesus is better than Aaron. And Aaron was the great high priest of the Old Covenant. Jesus is better than all the Old Testament priests. Basically, I think I can wrap up the book of Hebrews in, in, in one sentence. Jesus is better than the entire system of the Old Testament. So here in in chapter seven, we see that Jesus is, verse 24, hoping your Bible's still open, verse 24, a a permanent priest, the forever great high priest. Now, Now, the Jews, when they read Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, or someone read the book of Hebrews to them, they would have been very confused by this statement, that Jesus is a priest and that he's a permanent priest because the only way to be a priest is if you came, verse five, through the tribe of Levi. And Jesus is not from the tribe of Levi, he's from the tribe of Judah. The, the Jews who heard this would have been very confused because to be a great high priest, you had to be from the line, the, the line of, of Aaron, an, an Aaronic, um descent. But Jesus is not a descendant of, of Aaron. So chapter seven, what, what it's telling us, and just stay with me here, is telling us that Jesus does not come from a Levitical line, Jesus does not come from the line of, of, of Aaron, but he instead is, is just like coming from the order of or much more similar to Melchizedek than Jesus is similar to, to a Levitical priest or to the priestly line of, of Aaron. In what way, good question, in what way would Jesus be after the order of Melchizedek, go back to verse 1. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1. Look at the two things that are said about Melchizedek here. Really important. For this, for this Melchizedek, king, so important word, he's the king of Salem, the king of Jerusalem. Salem is kind of the, the earliest um, name of Jerusalem. He's the king of Salem, but also the priest of the most high God. You, we rarely, rarely see this in the Bible. When we do see it, it usually doesn't go very well. When the king is also the priest. So in this way, Jesus is going to be the king, yes, but also Jesus is going to come as, as a priest. Now, I, I know that the thought of the priestly office doesn't mean a whole lot to us in the 21st century today. We don't understand all that was involved in, in being a priest and how important that was to the people of God. So let's just say here in the 21st century at Highland, what, what do we do? We come in and we, and we gather at this 10 o'clock. We, we sing we worship the Lord, we, we pray, we hear from the Lord through the Word of God. Really, all of those same elements were similar in Old Testament time, except all of those things had to come through a priest. The priest would speak to the people on behalf of God, but then would speak to God on behalf of the people. He was the, the go-between. He was the, he was the mediator. And any worship that happened in the Old Testament, and any service that happened in the Old Testament, any sacrifice that happened in the Old Testament, any prayers that happened in the Old Testament, any hearing from God in the Old Testament had to come through that, that priest. Either that one priest in the synagogue or maybe the great high priest there in the, in the temple. So here comes Jesus. Here comes this movement of Christianity, and it is saying, in effect, That the Old Testament priesthood and everything associated with it is now over because a better thing has arrived. Jesus has come. and So Hebrews reminds us right here that everything in the Old Testament was actually pointing toward this king, this new king, this kingly priest, this priestly king who would come. And when Jesus did come, Hebrews tells us he did away with the old way and now a new way is being established. And so Melchizedek, All of his weird qualities, right? Back in verse three, he has no genealogy. He has no mother. He has no father. is really much more of a prototype of Jesus, preparing our hearts for a better Melchizedek. In other words, Melchizedek is less than Jesus. He's an almost, but a not quite. And the Bible is filled with people like that, people that you and I would call heroes of the faith, Um, the Sunday school lessons that maybe you learned as as a child. Some of our favorite stories, especially in the Old Testament, are are stories of imperfect women, imperfect men, even though they showed great faith, even though they showed showed great valor, they were still imperfect and they kept pointing us toward our desire for a perfect king, a perfect hero, a perfect priest to come. This is why in the Old Testament you you think about Joshua. He, He was a great leader, a prototype of, of Jesus bringing God's people into the Promised Land, and yet he was sinful. You see, you see David, this great king who would sit upon a, a mighty throne, and yet he fell. We look in the Old Testament and we see Adam; he was first in creation, and yet he rebelled against God. We see Noah; he was righteous pointed us to a king of righteousness who would come, and yet we know that Noah was not perfect. So all of them have some attributes of Jesus, but none of them was able to fulfill what only Jesus can do. That is, namely, save us. Jesus alone can save us. The conclusion of this strange chapter, then, if you will, pardon me, Holy Spirit, this strange chapter of verse 25, and it's a grand and glorious conclusion. Go back to your Bible if you don't mind. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, is this. Consequently... In other words, because verse 1 through 24 is correct and true and has happened, because all of that is true, verse 25 is true, consequently Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, through Jesus, since he, Jesus, always lives to make intercession for them. This is a great clue that the author gives us here, just in that very beginning word, consequently in verse 25. So from this passage, can I show you five things? That i hope will prepare our hearts for the remembrance of the cross prepare our hearts for communion today but also prepare our hearts for the resurrection celebration of christ number one is this jesus is able to save us completely jesus is able to save us completely we see this back in verse 25 consequently excuse me consequently he is able to save us to the Uttermost. In other words, when Jesus saved us, he is able to save us from all of our sin. He is able to make us completely new people. So we're not partially saved. Or for you, Princess Bride fans, we're not mostly saved. We're fully saved, all the way saved. We're completely saved. We are fully saved from the wrath of God, fully saved from the penalty of our sin, fully saved from a Christless eternity. But also fully saved to live a life in freedom. Fully saved to live a life in the Spirit. Fully saved to live a life in in joy. Fully saved to live a new life in Christ. And if you're a Christian here today, in this you should rejoice. That when Jesus saved you, he saved you completely. Permanently. And forever. If you're not in Christ, this is great news. This is a great opportunity today. You can believe upon Jesus and he can save you completely. And you may be thinking right now, preacher guy, you have no idea what I've done. You have no idea how, how much I have rebelled, how far I have pushed God back from my life. You know, if you can sin to the uttermost, Jesus can save even better to the uttermost. As deep as your sin might feel, God's grace is greater still. Jesus is able to save us completely. That's why it says in verse 25, to the uttermost, Uh, your translation might use the word forever. Your translation might use the word completely. Jesus is able to save us completely. Secondly, only Jesus can save. Did you see this? We're we're, we're drawing near to God, but through Jesus. It says he, verse one, verse 25, the beginning of verse 25, that first sentence, he, Jesus is able to, To save. So, second thing, I want you to see: only Jesus can save. Now, I know this is politically, this is politically incorrect today. To say that there's only one way. I I know it doesn't land well. I I, I read the culture. I know it doesn't land well in 2023 to be non-inclusive. But if you ever have a hope of having a relationship with God, it is only going to be through Jesus Christ. If you're looking for any other way to get close to God. There is no other way. Only, only Jesus saves. A, a Catholic priest can't do that for you. Nor can any of the, any of the saints. Nor can Muhammad or Buddha or, or Confucius. Nor Mother Mary. Nor your sweet, I'm sure she's very sweet, godly grandmother. Nor a Baptist preacher. The only way to be saved is through Jesus Christ. He's the only mediator between God and man. It is Jesus who is both king and priest and he alone can save thirdly we draw near to God through Christ we use a lot of phrases in the church and I apologize if we use too many phrases that that, that tried to explain what does it mean to be a Christian. So we say things like you were born again, you were saved, you were rescued, you were, you were in Christ. But there's, there's a term right here that Hebrews uses, and I love this term because it's very relational. Well, what does it mean to be a Christian? It means that we have drawn near to God through Christ. We've drawn near to him. To the almighty God of the universe, we have drawn near to that God, the the greatest need in the heart of every human in Waco and the world is to be loved and to be known. It's the greatest need in the heart of every person in this house today. You want to be known. You want to be loved. And there is no one we'd rather be known by and loved by than the one who knows us the best, the one who created us. We draw near to the God of the universe who made everything that we see and everything that we do not see This is what salvation is. It's to draw near to God in relationship and the tenderness of that intimacy of knowing the creator of heaven and earth. And the only way to draw near to that God, to experience that is through Jesus Christ. Fourthly, this is good news. Jesus is for you. I apologize on behalf of every preacher in America if you've walked out of church before thinking, man, Jesus doesn't like me at all. Jesus is tired of me. Jesus rolls his eyes at me in, in, in heaven. That, I'm sorry if you've ever gotten that impression of, of Jesus. Christian, I want you to know this. He is, he is for you. I heard this at FM 72. It's not just that Jesus loves you. That's great news. How about this? Jesus likes you as well. I, I needed to hear that this past week. Wow, he, I, I know you have to love me. You are love, But you like me? Jesus is for you. He is praying for you. you look at this passage in verse 25 he always lives and if you will modern day vernacular his job description is he always lives to make intercession for them who is the them bad grammar you are the them you are the ones Christians who have been saved so he always lives to make intercession for them who is the them the ones that he has saved verse 25 see this is why Jesus priesthood is better than the temporary priest of, of the Old Testament. The Old Testament priest, they're gone. They, they, they live for their little scope of life and then they're finished. But, but Jesus, it says here, verse 25, he always lives. And he always lives to make intercession for us, believers in Christ. He is praying for us. Jesus is ever ready. This is such good news. Jesus is ever ready to help you, ever ready to strengthen you. Jesus is ever ready to encourage you when your heart is broken he lives to pray for us I'm going to point you to a passage we don't have time to turn there but you will see it on the screen behind me it's Romans chapter 8 verses 33 through 34 so, I mean probably the richest chapter I would say in my humble but accurate opinion the, the most the richest chapter in all of the New Testament Romans chapter 8 33 through 34 who shall bring any charge against God's Elect Those who belong to God through Jesus Christ, who have been adopted by God through Jesus, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. In other words, Christian, God has already declared you righteous, so those charges, even if they're true, they do not stick. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was, past tense, raised, who is present tense, at the right hand of God, who indeed is, present tense, interceding for us. This great king, this great priest, this great son of God, this great second person of the Trinity, Jesus the Christ is living right now to pray for you, to intercede for you. And if you walked into this room hopeless, brokenhearted, Sad, sick, lonely. I've got great news for you. Like at this very moment, Jesus is praying a perfect prayer for you right now. And you know what else? Right now. And right now. I can make this a really long sermon. And right now. (laughs) And it's a perfect prayer. I don't know about you, but my, I feel like my prayers sometimes are so imperfect. Or I get so distracted in my prayers. I learned a long time ago, by the way, younger brothers and sisters, I can't pray to God silently because it's, it's squirrel for me. I'm like just somewhere, somewhere else. So I have to pray out loud when I pray. Jesus, even though I have imperfect prayers, Jesus always prays a perfect prayer. And that prayer he's praying for you, I love this, it always lines up with the will of God. This Jesus is praying for you, interceding for you. Let me wrap this sermon up. This explanation here in Hebrews chapter seven is a, is a reference to something that happened all the way back in the very first book of the Bible, in in, in Genesis chapter 14. Don't turn there, but let me tell you again, the author of Hebrews is recounting a story from Genesis chapter 14. Let me read this to you, and I've put into brackets uh, the names that the pronoun is is referring to. So Genesis 14, 17 through 20, after his, Abraham's return from the defeat of Cador Laomer, which is a great name, by the way, and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom, went out to meet him, to meet Abram or Abraham at the Valley of Shavah, that is the king's valley. Verse 18, here's our story, here's our guy. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. So again, we see he's the king and a priest. Verse 19, and he, Melchizedek, blessed him, Abram or Abraham, and said, blessed be Abraham by God most high. Who's God most high? The possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high who has delivered, Abraham, your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tithe. Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Would you look again just at verse 18 and verse 19. You see on the screen from Genesis chapter 14. And Melchizedek, king, remember, and priest, he brought out bread and wine. The superior is going to serve the inferior. The king, mind you, the priest of the most high God is going to serve bread and wine. You're a thousand steps ahead of me. This is what Jesus did, our king, our priest. The superior came to serve us Don't let your feelings get hurt. We're the inferior when compared to superior Jesus. Bread and wine. So fifth thing is this. Jesus, the king and priest, serves his life to us. Jesus served the bread and the wine the last supper as he was preparing his heart, his life for the cross. But spiritually, he gave us his body and his blood. the perfect sacrifice that we might be forgiven. It's stated both here in this Genesis passage, but also back in that Hebrews passage in verse seven, the inferior is blessed by the superior. We see that specifically in Melchizedek, serving that bread and that wine to to Abraham, the superior serving the inferior, the the greater serving the the least. And this is, of course, what, what Jesus did. The superior came to serve us least I mean he he definitely came to serve up love and to serve up grace he came and he served some incredible teachings some pretty fantastic miracles as well but ultimately he came to serve us his very life and so today we remember that with bread and the cup Gonna pray. And if you have not gotten your communion element, this would be a great time to sneak and get that real quick while we pray. Let's pray together. Father, we we remember, we we see you, Jesus, as as king and priest, the one who owns the universe, but also the one who, who allows us to draw near to the Father, our, our mediator the sole agent who can take us to the Father the sole agent who can carry us to the God of the universe so God today we remember our king our priest the one who lives forever and who lives to intercede for us to, to help us to serve us And in his great love, this king served his very life to us. And so through communion, we remember such sacrifice. In Christ we believe and we remember and we pray. Amen. Communion at Highland is open to any believer in Christ. You don't have to be a member here at Highland to take this. If you would pull back the tab where the bread is found. And would you hold this bread in your hand and let's just be still and silent and quiet and just remember Jesus has served himself to us, served his very life to us. Would you remember vividly Christ on a cross, vividly, our sins placed on him. Vividly, Jesus crying out, Father, why have you forsaken me? Christian family, let us eat of this bread together in remembrance of Jesus. you would carefully pull back the tab of the cup and same let's just hold it in our hand and remember let's remember the cost of our salvation let's remember again that Jesus served his life to us even though he's the greater and we're the least. Would you remember with me that without the spilling of the blood of this lamb, this lamb could not take away the sins of the world. Christian family, let's drink of this cup together in remember us of Christ. mind at this time. Let's just bow our heads. Remember. Let's remember both the the weight of our sin that was given to Jesus. But let's also remember the greater weight of his love given to us. Amazing love. How can this be?